This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Most of us want our neighborhoods and towns to be walkable, yet so often the car is king. What gives? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The sun's out and the weather's getting warmer. Sounds like a good time to go for a walk around the neighborhood, don't you think? Well, that largely depends on where you live. Residents in some parts of Chicagoland have a jewel, a Trader Joe's, coffee shops, a park, a school, all within walking distance. While others may have to walk a mile or more to catch a bus to the nearest pharmacy. A recent report shows that the demand for walkable neighborhoods is high, far outstripping what's currently out there. So what makes a community walkable and what can urban planners do to make places easier to travel on foot? To find out, we've assembled the panel with Sam Kling, director of Global Cities Research at the Chicago Council for Global Affairs. Courtney Cobbs, the co-founder of the transit advocacy organization Better Streets Chicago. And rounding out our panel is Jose Manuel Almanza, director of advocacy and movement building with the mobility justice group Equiticity. All right, let's start with the idea of walkability. Jose, how do you define a walkable neighborhood? Yeah, thanks for that question. Uh, a walkable neighborhood to us looks like uh, large sidewalks. It looks like having a robust transit system. It looks like uh, our neighborhoods encouraging people to take other modes of transportation that is not the vehicle. So being able to walk to the bus stop, making sure that the bus gets there on time mm-hmm. and, uh, efficiently and gets you to your destination in a timely manner, it, lo- it means having protected bike lanes so that people can ride their bike to their destination or whether it be to an appointment, to see a friend, or just to, to ride recreationally. Um, all those things uh, have the same thing in common is designing our streets, our roadways, uh, in a way that encourages folks to use other modes of transportation. And that's not what we're seeing right now. What about you, Courtney? What's, what's a walkable neighborhood to you? Yeah, so I would just add on that noise is really important, Um, making sure that the street is quiet. There are some people who get very overstimulated or overwhelmed with a lot of noise, Um, making sure that the sidewalk is even. I'm thinking about people in wheelchairs or using a mobility device where a huge uneven sidewalk is a safety hazard or it means making the trip or not making the trip. It's about having destinations within close distance. Mm -hmm. So a library, a shop, a grocery store, all these things. And I would also even add um, the social element, being able to encounter other people on the street. Mm. Because even though there's a sidewalk, if there aren't lots of people using it, that's not a very pleasant experience to feel like you're alone and isolated. I'm seeing agreement all around here. Lots of nods when you said that. Um, When you think, Courtney, sticking with you for another moment, thinking here specifically of Chicago and and the suburbs, what sticks out to you as actual walkable areas? Can you name some? I, well, I'm in Rogers Park. So the closest walkable community to me is Andersonville. But even Andersonville is not perfect. The sidewalks are really narrow. And I find I don't spend a lot of time there because 
honestly, I walk fast and I get frustrated that there's not a lot of space for me to move around. And Mm. I think that's important to keep in mind. We should have sidewalks that are wide enough for two people to walk side by side and then have space for someone else to pass. Good point. Good point. So we got this message from Glow on Twitter. We we put this question out about how walkable your neighborhood is a a few days ago, and we've been getting lots of people chiming in. Uh, Glow lives in the West Loop and says it's super walkable. Here's the quote. I can walk to Target restaurants and my son to school. We can safely ride our bikes. Sadly, I would rather live in a different part of the city for these basic amenities, but they don't have them. So West Loop it is. Uh, thank you so much, Glow, for, for weighing in there. And I think what you said is very relatable, right? There's a lot of people listening right now that want to move to a different part of the city, but they can't find those basic amenities and walkability everywhere. So which areas do you see, Jose, as lacking? Yeah, uh, from my experience, you know, I live in the west side of Chicago. Um, I live in a little village neighborhood, Equiticity. You know, a lot of our work is in North Lawndale. So spend a lot of time in, in the west side. And, you know, the 26th Street corridor, it's, it's very walkable. But as Courtney said, there's still problems. The sidewalks aren't long enough. Crossing the street is still very dangerous because priority is given to, to drivers and not necessarily pedestrians. So that's a big thing where if we want to encourage people to walk, then it should be really safe to cross the street. And we're just not seeing these in a, in a lot of areas. Yeah, to your point, our, our Lisa Lab is here at WBEZ says Oak Park is walkable, but it's the people driving that make it dangerous for, for pedestrians. Uh, Sam, I want to go back to the start of the pandemic with you. That was when we saw this shift in housing preferences. A lot of folks, uh, they left their walkable, accessible neighborhood in urban areas and they moved out to the suburbs. A recent report actually found that more than 60 percent of Americans still want to live in walkable areas. And... When it comes to supply, the real estate market just is unable to actually meet that demand. Why not? Well, you know, one of the reasons uh, for for all this mismatch of supply and demand is you have to look at history and how did we get here in the first place? Uh, why are so many areas not walkable? Um, I think the answer to that is very long and complicated. But you know, to to make it brief, one of it or one part of it is just the the prioritization of car traffic in planning. The other part, uh, and I think that's pretty self-evident, the other part, though, is that the dominant idea in urban planning for a century mm-hmm. in the United States was to separate the functions of the city and to you know, keep residential away from commercial, away from industrial, uh, separate different types of traffic. And this was a reaction to the city itself, which was all chaotic and jumbled together. And so, uh, you know, even before the automobile, there is an effort to to keep shops away from houses. Once the automobile came around, uh, planners had an opportunity to increase that distance between shops and houses and work workplaces. Mm. And so now we're left in a situation where a lot of places you just can't walk anywhere. Yeah. Are we just too car centric? Is that the issue? Jose? You know, that reminds me of uh, outgoing Mayor Lori Lightfoot said not so long ago, and I'm paraphrasing. She said Chicago is a car city. Um, so while, you know, this city is very walkable, a lot of people like to come here because of how accessible it is to to get to places and everything's so close by. We're still fundamentally still designing our streets around the vehicle. And until we change that, um, we're not going to be seeing any real improvements. So we asked you if you think that your neighborhood is walkable. Here is what a few of you had to say. Notably, Anna from uh, the Uptown Sheridan Park area said, absolutely. 
I can walk less than 20 minutes to the lake, grocery stores, restaurants, the library and post office, uh, Target, my dance studio and the bar. Uh, Frank Krizak on Twitter said Irving Park is generally walkable, but says the area around Irving and I-90 and the Irving Park Metra and Blue Line is an absolute nightmare and dangerous and is such a wasted opportunity. I've reached out to elected officials. They don't seem to care since it's basically the southern boundary of two wards. And uh, at Hello Babs on Twitter said, I'm in South Logan Square, Humboldt Park, and I would say it's okay by American standards, but not walkable by European standards. Uh, so again, thank you to the folks who weighed in there on social media. I'm interested in, in Hello Babs point here at the end, uh, making that distinction that their their neighborhood is okay by American standards, but not European standards. What do you think she's getting at specifically, Courtney? I think in Europe, you see more pedestrian plazas, you see more sidewalk dining, um, you see more mini parks, like micro parks in neighborhoods. Uh, the parks are intentionally designed for you to stay and linger and enjoy yourself. Uh, public restrooms are pretty abundant in many parts of Europe, and we just don't see that here. I can't tell you how many times I make sure I go to the restroom before I leave my house if I know the trip is going to be over 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, we mentioned the danger uh, for pedestrians in our conversation. We've got a caller on the line who knows that firsthand. Let's hear from Amy in Jefferson Park. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Uh, I'm glad you're covering that this topic today. Sure. Uh, yeah. Five years ago, uh, I was walking across Milwaukee Avenue near Foster in Jefferson Park in broad daylight in a crosswalk, so I had the right of way. And I got hit by a guy driving a Ford 350 pickup truck. Oh, wow. And couldn't walk for almost three months. And, I'm so uh, sorry to hear that, Amy. Thank you. I'm How are you doing now? Be, um, I've got a lot of uh, titanium in me. And my uh, knee reminds me of the accident every time it's going to rain because I've got some arthritis in it. Um and I'm very careful crossing the street now. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you called to share that story. I'm sorry that happened, and I'm happy you're doing much better now. Thank you, Amy, for reaching out. Sam, I mean, we all sort of shook our heads here. It, this is a familiar story. It's a familiar story, and it's getting more and more familiar. Uh, traffic crashes are up in the past few years. Mm -hmm. Pedestrian fatalities are up. Um, all sorts of traffic fatalities are up. So this is a problem that is happening across the U.S. It's not repeated in other countries around the world, uh, and it's a crisis. It's something that, that our political leaders have to address. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about walkable neighborhoods in Chicago and the suburbs. Our guests are Courtney Cobbs with Better Streets Chicago, Sam Kling with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, and Jose Manuel Almanza with the group Equiticity. Equiticity. Uh, if you want to chime in, just like Amy in Jefferson Park, give us a call now. Tell us whether your neighborhood or town is walkable and how it could be more walkable at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, the number is 866-915-WBEZ. Courtney, uh, as we know, not every neighborhood's super walkable. Some don't even have sufficient sidewalks, as we've, we've mentioned here. There's 2020 data from the Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, or CMAP, uh, and it shows about 30 of Chicago's 77 neighborhoods 
don't have sidewalks on either one or both of 95% of the streets. Yeah. Uh, the most gaps, though, are in far south side neighborhoods like Hegwish and Pullman. Why do you think that might be the case? I think a lot of decisions were made uh, decades ago to prioritize automobile traffic and see uh, community members as disposable and undeserving of safe infrastructure. So that really comes down to racialized, discriminatory planning practices. Yeah. Does that sound about right, Sam, from uh, your expertise? Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's right on. In a lot of these neighborhoods, um, you know, the land has been repurposed to move cars through the neighborhood rather than for the people who live in those neighborhoods. Uh, and you see that, yeah, especially on the south side. You see it um, in all sorts of neighborhoods where these big arterial streets go through. Um, they make it unpleasant to walk down the street because it's loud, it's dangerous, it's noisy and smelly. Uh, and and it has consequences for walkability as well. So what does all that mean for the quality of life then, Jose, for, for the people who do live there in those neighborhoods? Uh, it sends them a message that, you know, their needs are not being prioritized, that if you want to get to work, if you want to go to the store, go to a doctor's appointment, if you want to get there on time, you need a drive, you need a car. Um, and that's just not something that everyone can have, a, a car. Uh, so we're forced to walk, we're forced to take transit. Uh, and, of course, we all have, have heard the stories of the ghost buses and how unreliable our transit system has been lately. Yeah. Um, so what that gives us the feeling of, so what's there, what's there for us? Who's, who's looking out for us? Um, and, you know, until our elected officials take this seriously and really invest in, in transit, really invest in, in walkability and uh, design, more importantly, design our streets uh, to, to accommodate that, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're not going to see anything change. Courtney? I would also add uh, the public health consequences, so shorter lifespans, higher incidence of uh, cancer, diabetes. There were even studies that have seen some sort of correlation between noise pollution and dementia. So wow. we really need to like take um, noise pollution very seriously and look at how we can uh, decrease the amount of people who feel like they need to drive or who need to drive. I mean... Uh, transit can be 90 minutes and driving is 30 minutes. We need to close that gap. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're saying walkability, but I, I think part of what we're really talking about is is easy access to amenities. Um, I'm thinking about folks with disabilities, as you were speaking there, Courtney, someone who uses a wheelchair, for example. I mean, when you factor in their needs in this definition that we talked about of walkable neighborhood does that change which areas meet the mark and which ones don't, Jose? Yeah, so, you know, th- this morning on my way to the studio, I, you know, I took the pink line to the loop, and then uh, I walked to the studio just to see, you know, downtown is probably one of the most walkable areas uh, in the city. However, there's still gaps. Um, one thing that stood out the most was there, was there was no place where I could sit down and take a break. Uh, my walk was about 30 minutes. Um, and not everybody can can do that for thirty minutes for you know a lot of a lot of reasons. So there is no places just to stop and take a break, and that's something that should be you know, like common sense. You're plus one in that, Courtney. I can tell. Absolutely, I think about this a lot in terms of invisible disabilities. So there are a lot of people who have developed long COVID, and so they're dealing with fatigue. And I don't think that we're accounting for that in how we 
plan our cities, how we look at our streets. We need places of respite and rest. Yeah, very, very good point. Let's hear from Rob in West Ridge who wants to chime in. Hey, Rob. Welcome to the show. Hello. Oh, hello. Hi. Uh, I would say that, you know, I think I agree with pretty much everything that everybody is saying, um, you know, in, in, in terms of design of sidewalks and streets and, prior, and streets having been prioritized to cars. But I think the thing that's most important if you want a walkable neighborhood is you need density of population. The more people you have, the more you can support neighborhood shops, services, groceries, restaurants, etc., that make it possible for you to walk to anything and everything and have your needs met mm-hmm. within, you know, within a 15-minute walk. If you don't have population density, it doesn't matter how nice the sidewalk is or how many trees are on the street. Um, you're not going to be able to support yeah. services and, and uh, that can make the neighborhood a vibrant place if you don't have the population density. Thank that, you, Rob. That would be my major point. Thanks, Rob, for, for chiming in there. Sam, th- does Rob have a point? Population density, how important is that? Uh, Rob absolutely has a point. Uh, you know, one way to think about walkability is to think about the different scales uh, in which it has to work. You know, there is the street-level scale where things like crosswalks and sidewalks and having shade and, and all that matters. There's the neighborhood where you have destinations to go to, which I think uh, Rob was referring to uh, the 15-minute city, a 15-minute walk. You can go to the doctor's office. You can go to your workplace all within a 15-minute walk. But then there are these city and regional-level policies that really have an effect on the neighborhood, have to do with the transportation system, have to do with zoning and land use. You know, if you aren't allowed to build... Um, dense housing in a neighborhood makes it harder for it to, to, to be walkable. If you require huge lot sizes, that also makes it hard to be walkable. So all these things have to align uh, to really create walkable neighborhoods across the city. We got this voicemail from a listener in Bucktown. Hi, this is Julie from Bucktown. Yes, I do think my neighborhood is walkable. I would have the caveat, however, that uh, it's a little bit insulated, so I can get to my library, I can get to um, a small grocery store, I can do all the the basic things that I need to do, but uh, it's not walkable to like a larger grocery store, uh, and it's certainly not walkable uh, to the downtown area. So she talks there about neighborhoods being insulated. Is that a problem that comes up a lot in this city, Sam? I think I think definitely. You know, there are a lot of neighborhoods where you can access things within the neighborhood, but if you want to go to another neighborhood, uh, you know, maybe the transit system isn't set up to get you there quickly. You have to go downtown and then you have to go back out mm-hmm. or uh, the bus is unreliable and slow. So, yeah, it's about creating neighborhoods that are walkable themselves. But if you have to drive everywhere to get to a walkable place, then that sort of defeats the purpose of walkability. And, Courtney, it's not like these neighborhoods have walls or something between them, right? So so what do you think is behind this sort of isolation? How can we maybe increase mobility between neighborhoods? I mean, in a way, uh, there are walls in terms of really busy streets and really wide streets. Um, So that definitely creates a wall. Um, Our transit system can be a barrier. 
especially going east to west, in my experience, it can be really hard. North to south is pretty easy. When I lived in Kenwood, for example, when I wanted to go to Pilsen, it was like an hour on transit and maybe 20 minutes in my car. Mm. And so making trips like that easier and asking Chicagoans, where do you have trouble? What neighborhoods do you have trouble accessing? And how can we make it easier for you? Yeah. And like you said earlier, trying to close that gap, right? Uh, The U.S. Surgeon General yesterday declared loneliness an epidemic in America. And, you know, even said it posed a health risk as deadly as smoking. Yeah, uh, this is something Evanston Mayor Daniel Biss told Reset was on his mind when we were talking about walkable neighborhoods. Let's listen to that. Walkable communities advance the cause of sustainability. They advance the cause of public health, but they also create a social fabric. They put us in contact with one another in public, building ties between people, allowing us to support each other and, and really have the kind of daily quality of life that I think most of us crave especially in this time of isolation and, and frankly, of loneliness. Yeah, I'd love to hear from from each of you on this. Courtney, I mean, you're nodding. I remember you talked earlier about making that point that was so so simple about walking on sidewalks and not seeing other people and, and the impact of that. Yeah, that was my experience when I lived in central Arkansas and was a big reason why I moved to Chicago. I was like, I want to Move move to a city where I can organically cross paths with lots of people. Um, and I would I think there's lots of opportunities for us to create little pockets of connection, even on our little neighborhood streets. There are some streets I go down pretty regularly and there's a lot of empty space. And I'm like, we could put a bench there. We could put a little playground right there. Just simple little things that would increase the contact we have with each other. Yeah. What's your take, Jose? Yeah. I'm glad, you know, Courtney brought it up earlier, earlier today. And, uh, you know, we're always talking about, you know, safety is always a big thing. Uh, and one way to create safety is to really build community. And the one way to build community is to build trust with your neighbors. And one way to build trust with your neighbors is, you know, everybody outside walking, getting to know each other, running into each other. Right. That creates small talk. You just start building that trust Seeing with each other. Seeing those same familiar yeah, faces. Yeah, exactly. And that's just one way to to build safety at the community level. I mean, look at how we just light up in, in moments like that. I know I do. Like, yeah. I, I run into the same person all the time. It's like, hey, it's mm-hmm. you again. Friendly face. What do you think, Sam? If you look back at the changes over the past few years with COVID, I think this becomes all the more important. Uh, and it's not just the isolation that you know the pandemic brought about, but but also people were spending more time in their neighborhoods. And there have been studies in cities around the world that show that while activity decreased in the central business district, it increased in the neighborhoods. And people mm-hmm. were looking in their backyards and they were figuring out, um, hey, if I'm spending more time here, I want this to be a more sociable place. Uh, and investing in you know building things like community gardens and having outdoor activities, social activities, things like that. Let's stick with the suburbs for a bit. I want to head to the western suburbs. Here's Tom Craighead with the Naperville Environmental and Sustainability Task Force. Now, he's working with the city of Naperville to improve not just walkability, but bikeability as well. And he was talking about the challenges that suburbs face overall. One of the challenges of improving walkability in Naperville and other suburbs is the absolute need to cooperate with multiple entities, the park district, two school districts, two counties, Will and DuPage, and two forest preserves. Numerous unincorporated areas are often not walkable due to lack of sidewalks, 
townships as well as counties need to commit. Walkability is a valuable asset for community physical and social health, as well as for transportation alternatives. So, Courtney, do the suburbs have a a harder challenge ahead of them than city neighborhoods? What do you think? I think so. Their roads tend to be wider, um, but I think that's also an opportunity for change as well. There's plenty of space to work with. And I think at the end of the day, um, getting more people on foot, on transit, on bike is good for a city's bottom line. It's uh, less costly if someone's using the road on a bike versus a really heavy um, vehicle. There's also the issue of climate change. So we really want to do all that we can to reduce um, how much we're paying on the back end. Yeah, good point. Let's jump back to the phone lines. Here's Ariel in Woodlawn. Hey, Ariel, welcome to the show. Hi, Sasha. Um, Yeah, so I'm kind of wondering how um, making the city more walkable would work for people who have to go between different neighborhoods. So I live in Woodlawn, but I work in Albany Park. I work in River North. I work in Lakeview. And as much as I would love to not drive, (laughs) um, I don't really have a choice. And part of that is Mm -hmm. economic because I do have multiple jobs. But, um, you know, how can we make things easier? It's the question of the day, Ariel. We're all we're all smiling here at the table because it's it's literally that that hard nut to crack. Right. Getting between neighborhoods. Yeah. And I think. Reasonable people will say, you know, okay, yes, some people have to drive. They have very unique, uh, you know, commutes. Circumstances. Circumstances. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone. But on the other hand, uh, half of all trips in Chicago are under three miles. And uh, uh, that is just a huge opportunity for us to convert those trips from cars, you know, which are often single occupancy. You're lugging around 4,000 pounds of metal and fuel uh, you can turn that into a bike ride, into a wa- walking trip, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. So there's tremendous potential, and we need to get to that low-hanging fruit first. Yeah, low-hanging fruit. Here's another voicemail that we got from the suburbs. This is a resident from the, the near north suburb of Wilmette. I moved to Wilmette about 10 years ago. When I first moved there, I could walk from my house a short walk to a grocery store, a post office, a drugstore, a couple small restaurants. And now, 10 years later, none of those places are there, and I feel like my neighborhood is completely not walkable, and it really makes me not want to stay. Yeah, so this one's a a bit surprising. She's uh, talking about a neighborhood basically going backwards in terms of being able to get around by foot. How how does something like that happen, Sam? Well, there are many ways it can happen. Uh, One kind of interesting way is that... uh, you know, and we've seen this in neighborhoods like Lincoln Park, for example, um, is that even as the neighborhood appears to be thriving and property values are going up, the population is actually going down. And the way that works is people buy, uh, you know, buildings which may have had two units or three units mm-hmm. and they're converting them into single-family homes. And a building that might have once had 12 people now only has two people. And if you extend that out over a whole neighborhood, uh, you're reducing the amount of customers that can support a grocery store or a hardware store. And, uh, you know, those types of essential businesses are maybe replaced by boutiques or, you know, things that are nice to have but but maybe don't meet people's basic needs. You know, Jose, we've been talking about the desire that some folks have for, for walkable neighborhoods. But I should ask, are, are there downsides to walkable neighborhoods? 
Um, I feel like we might have covered yeah, noise earlier. Yeah. One one that comes to mind is, you know, gentrification. Mm. So we all want to see, you know, all these improvements, bike lanes, bus lanes, robust transit, more restaurants, shops, a robust uh, business corridor. Uh, but, uh, you know, the city's track record isn't that great in, in keeping the local residents there. A lot of us get displaced and have to move to other areas that are even more underserved. Uh, so that would be one downside where... We have to make sure that the people that live there, the local residents, are able to enjoy all the new amenities that are going to be coming into a neighborhood. Yeah, rents are going up, housing mm-hmm. costs are up, um, and just I think sheer congestion. Right? What do you think, Courtney? I think the congestion is a result of us not uh, investing and in prioritizing transit, so that tends to happen. Um, and I think the solution is to ensure that. All our neighborhoods are walkable and well served by transit and have an abundance of affordable housing and protections for tenants, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when lots of people want one thing, it's going to cost more money. But when everyone has access to it, mm-hmm. it's not a luxury good. And we believe that safe streets and robust transit should be the default. It shouldn't be some special thing that some people in the city have. Everyone deserves that. You know, Jose, even going back to your point, I'm thinking higher housing costs, as I mentioned, uh, that's a major concern. So how do we safeguard affordability? Because it seems like we're either seeing uh, rents that we can afford in a neighborhood uh, that doesn't have a bus route or, or pharmacy or it's a $2,000 studio near Target and a train station. Mm-hmm. Nothing in between. Yeah, I think one of those, one possible solution. So right now there's a rent control ban in the state of Illinois. So, you know, local policymakers cannot, you know, pass an ordinance that says, you know, rents cannot go higher than, you know, X amount per year. Or, or it has to be, it can't exceed a certain amount of a person's income. So uh, landlords can charge whatever they want. They could increase rent uh, however they want. And, of course, when you live in a country where housing is not a human right, that housing is a, is, is a luxury, whoever can, it goes to the highest bidder. Yeah. Um, it creates this environment where local residents aren't able to afford the new amenities that are coming into a neighborhood like a Little Village, North Lawndale, or Bronzeville. Yeah, true. Here's Ben in Oak Park. Hey, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> Love it. So what are uh, your thoughts? I uh, wanted to talk about on-street parking. Uh, I think that uh, congestion is pollution and rage-inducing. I find it uh, fascinating that we've been trying to make the streets safer with all these curb bump-outs and everything else, but traffic, uh, pedestrian uh, deaths and crashes are going up. Uh, I think that increasing congestion is not working. I think if we took parking off of bus routes and gave the parking lane to buses and bicycles and more sidewalk space, we could solve a lot of problems. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Ben. I'm getting some nods around the table once again. Courtney, what's on your mind? I definitely agree. And just like the caller earlier who had multiple jobs, I definitely hear her. Going from neighborhood to neighborhood. Definitely. And one way we can help folks like that, because there are people who have multiple jobs and rely on transit, Uh, We can give our buses priority. There's technology to give buses uh, the green at the light because how many of us have gotten on a bus, paid our fare, and then bam, there's a red light. There's actually a solution to that. Our buses shouldn't have to sit in traffic. We can run them more often. 
uh, and to this person's point about uh, repurposing, I like to call it car storage, not parking. Uh, that is street space, and we are repurposing the street. We're not taking something away. We're just using it for a different purpose. So I think changing our language can be helpful, too. Car storage. That's an interesting one. Sam? Well, uh, I, I agree with Courtney. I agree with the caller. Unfortunately, Chicago has a problem, which is that it doesn't really control its streets entirely because of the, the parking meter deal. Um, so it'll have to come up with creative solutions if it wants to get rid of all those parking spaces. Yeah. It's also a political you know, third rail. When you try to take away people's parking, they go nuts. I would add in the city's uh, study of Western Avenue between Addison and Howard, most of the car storage or parking was free. So that wasn't even metered. There are some segments of our city where the parking meter is not a deal, and we have just chosen to force people on buses to sit in traffic. And that is a policy choice. Yeah. Well, you know, before coming to Chicago, Planning Commissioner Maurice Cox took the lead on Detroit's vision for for 20-minute neighborhoods, right, Uh, that would allow residents to walk or bike to get everyday necessities. I want to hear from each of you real quick. You know, what what do you want to see from residents and city leaders when it comes to making something like that a priority? What comes to mind for you, Jose? Yeah, for me, um, I think community ownership of of the process of developments happening in the neighborhood is crucial. Oftentimes, city agencies just come into a neighborhood and present a plan and just want to check a box. Not even if the community approves of the plan, they just want to make they just check in a box saying we did our part. Uh, now we're going to go ahead and, and continue this development. So we really need community ownership of these developments so that there's community buy-in. And uh, people know exactly what's happening in the neighborhood and how they can enjoy it. Yeah. Thoughts, Courtney? Um, I think safety and transit priorities should be the default. They shouldn't be something optional or left up to public opinion. People are dying or being seriously injured. And change is hard in the beginning. But I think in the end, Chicagoans, there are plenty of Chicagoans who want to get rid of a car payment and insurance payments and are tired of sitting in traffic. Mm -hmm. And we need to give people a dignified and safe alternative. Sam, last word to you. Uh, I'd say, you know, coming from the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, I feel it's like my obligation to say that um, there are other cities around the world who have done a really good job with this. And I would say to people live here, who live here and to our political leaders, look to those places. Um, there's a lot of inspiration uh, that, that can be found abroad. We'll leave it there. Our thanks to Sam Kling, Courtney Cobbs, and Jose Manuel Almanza for joining us today. Thank you all. This episode of Reset was produced by Meha Ahmed, who edited the episode along with Andrew Merriweather. If hearing from your fellow Chicagoans inspired you to join the conversation, a great way to do that is by subscribing to our newsletter. You can share your thoughts with our digital engagement producer, Claire Hyman, and get the big stories in your inbox each morning. Just go to wbez.org slash reset and enter your email. That's a wrap for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a wonderful weekend.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.